Hello and welcome back to the Lunch Pail Draft Class. Draft cast, and we're doing it again. We're just starting real, real good here. Going but back to back. Going back to back. Well, this is more like a three-peat. But yeah, we're like the for those listening here. I'm Danny Meehan. You can find me on the Twittering thing at Dan Meehan, the numerals nine. Oh, I am joined by the one, the only, the friendliest. The bestest. The, <laughs> I'm running out of things to say. The lead draft analyst of one windy city gridiron, Jacob Infante, or Infante, if you want to say it correctly. Jacob, say hello. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> I'm taking this extremely literally. If you just, can't, yeah, just hello. How are you? Hi. <laughs> 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 TikTok will reign supreme today. Hi. <laughs> How are you? Hi. <laughs> All right. Well, for those of you who've been sticking with us, I'm sure you're tired of my voice, especially. Jacob's voice is a little more soothing. I've got a little bit more nasally thing going on, apparently, now that I've listened to my voice every damn day for, for the past week. Um but We've gone over running backs, quarterbacks, edge defenders, linemen, inside linebackers. Well, there really only leaves a couple left, and that's what we're covering today. We got the tight ends, which, you know, it's kind of one guy and then pick your poison after that. And then safeties, which is one of the, in my opinion, from what I've watched, one of the deeper positions in this draft. I'm not going to sit here and claim to be some sort of safety savant, as it were, but from my eye, it's a pretty good class. But we're going to, I think, start out real quick with some of the tight ends. And that is really, it kind of begins with the alpha and the omega of the class at that position, even though I really wouldn't classify him as a tight end. I would kind of use the same term I used for Rondale Moore and that he's a weapon. Kyle Pitts is a weapon. He's not a tight end, although he does try to block. He's not like Jimmy Graham when he was in New Orleans, or there's no interest in blocking from that that version of Jimmy Jimmy Graham. Kyle Pitts tries, but he is tight end one. Hell, if you could make the argument if you see him as a wide receiver, he could be your wide receiver one. That's why I choose to qualify him as a weapon more so than just a pure tight end. Jacob, go ahead and break us down. One, Kyle Pitts. So Kyle Pitts isn't really a tight end. He isn't really a wide receiver. He's just kind of a weapon. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, if he, he played tight end at Florida, but it feels weird kind of putting him in that box because he's so different from almost any other tight end that we've seen in recent years. I mean, Literally, I can't think of a glaring weakness. I mean, he can improve a little bit as a blocker, but the most important thing is he's willing and he's long. So you have those two combinations, then that's encouraging for long-term growth of the position, but he's super athletic. I want to say he ran in like the 4-4 range or something bonkers at his pro day, and that shows up on tape. He can stretch the field incredibly well vertically. Uh, Sharp route runner, maybe the best and most diverse route runner in this class at the tight end position, strong hands, physical at the catch point. I mean, there really isn't too much that he can't do. It's just so much fun to watch him play. And 
I really hope that he pans out in the NFL because I haven't had this much conviction for a tight end prospect ever. Like I have him, I have him as my number three overall prospect and he's super close to number two. That's how highly I think of him. And if I'm wrong, I mean, a lot of people are going to look bad on that, but you know, I will as well. So I'm hoping for selfish purposes and for watching him succeed that he's, you know, going to be really good at the NFL level. But luckily for me, I have a lot of confidence in that because look at the tight ends right now, only say maybe three, maybe four of them are considered truly elite. I think Kyle Pitts has that potential to be in that Travis Kelsey, George Kittle, uh, Darren Waller territory. That's how good I think he can be at the next level. Yeah, that's, it's hard to disagree with what you're saying there. And like I said, I, I agree with the weapon term, you know, there, there's no other way to say it. I mean, he, and especially when you look at his build, he's got these like extra long, extra long, like tree vine arms. He's got really good feet. He really is just, he's as close to a perfect quote unquote tight end prospect you're going to find, but I'm going to throw a player comp at you and I can't get it out of my head because it's what I see when I watch him and the player comp isn't a tight end at all. Okay. I see I see Plaxico Burris. And Plaxico may have gotten to the league a little bit too early where he might have been used as that move tight end had he been been playing later in his career. And Plax had a really damn good career. But this is like I said, it's Plaxico Burris with like 15, 20 more pounds on his frame. And he's just tall. He wins the 50-50 balls to the point where you're just like, it's not a 50-50 ball, it's his ball. And I, th- we can gush about him more and more and more, but I don't really think that can't that uh, excuse me, I don't really think that Pitts needs much introduction. Yeah. So I guess we can just kind of move on from that and <laughs> talk about who you would have tight end too, which I don't. Again, I think the discussion, unless you really love Brevin Jordan, who would be like the only other guy with an argument for tight end too. It's probably Pat Fire Pat Fryermuth. Here we go again, stroking out ah. from Penn State. Pat Fryermuth. And you see 6'5, 250, and who does everyone immediately compare him to? Jacob, who is it? Who is he? Are we talking at a national perspective or a Bears perspective? I mean, because it's kind of one of the same because the name I keep seeing pop up is Travis Kelsey, and I whatever it's so we talked about it on one of our previous episodes comparing people to players to people like Travis Kelsey Tom Brady you know when you start comparing these players to greats yeah Travis Kelsey's going to Canton one day don't do that (laughs) yeah I mean the only one of those player comps I've ever felt comfortable with is Quentin Nelson to Larry Allen. That's literally the only one I've ever felt somewhat comfortable with because Quentin Nelson was just that good coming out of college. Every other instance, okay, this is a bit of a stretch comparing this player to a Hall of Fame caliber guy. Uh, And, you know, that's the same with just about any of these, you know, tight ends or literally any other players, I guess. It's it's such a high bar. It's kind of unfair to the prospect, like comparing Trevor Lawrence to like, say prime Peyton Manning or John Elway. We talked about that in the last show, uh, how he's gotten comparisons to them. 
Like, sure, he's an incredible talent. That's a bit unfair to Trevor Lawrence to give him, you know, those high of expectations because it's almost like, oh, he didn't live up to, you know, his pre-draft billing. He's a bust. He can have a very good career and not live up to those expectations and people Absolutely. are going to it negatively. Anyway, uh, about Pat Fryermuth, I'm I'm a fan of his for sure, and I feel like a lot of people – saw him as, you know, that borderline first round talent uh, heading into this year and kind of, I don't want to say soured on him because he's still for most people that tight end too, but I haven't seen him mocked in the first round or projected as, you know, a first round caliber talent in a while. I still have him up there. I think that from a, a size perspective, from a physicality perspective, his, you know, abilities as a blocker, I think he's a very well-rounded player and I don't think he's, you know, as explosive as a Kyle Pitts, but he's still fluid. He's still fluid and plenty athletic for the tight end position. He's the type of guy. I think you can move him uh, in a U tight end role, move him as an H back, move him in line, put him in the slot. What have you, you can move him around a lot of different places. Uh, and I think that he's going to succeed at the next level. Will he go first round? I doubt it. I think he's the type of guy to go in the second round and will he contribute right away? I don't know. Cause you know, tight ends tend to have that one year learning curve or whatnot, but I think he has the potential to be a long-term contributor for a team. Uh, and regardless of where he ends up, I think that the uh, ceiling's pretty high for him for sure. Fryermuth is got good hands. I like his ability to be flexed out, used in line or in the slot a little bit. He's just an easy player to like and root for. Yeah. But I think he just needs uh, some just refinement like like every other tight end coming into the league. It's one of the hardest positions to acclimate to in the NFL because of everything you need to learn if you're going to be in line out in-line outside tight end. So that's where I see the Hunter Henry comparison where you can line them out inside or line them up like in, in the slot or whatever. And then you can kind of – you can trust him if his de- blocking develops enough to kind of let him be some version of Heath Miller. So if you can kind of blend those two together, that's a little bit what I'm thinking in terms of him. But I think he's the clear-cut number two tight end in this class. Just like – no one really touches him as number two, and he doesn't really come close to come close to Pitts as number one. But that's really all there is to say in regards to Fryermuth. Like he, I think, like I said, he does have some work to do as a blocker. Um, but I do like his his potential as a safety valve, as it were, for like, oh, he's short or in the intermediate area. Let him just be a bailout guy, like the safety valve, as it were. That, that pretty much covers him, though. Who's your tight end three, Jacob? I'm curious. Yeah, so I know some people have soured on him because he didn't test well at his pro day, but I still like Brevin Jordan out of Miami. I still feel like the tape ultimately wins out for me, even though he didn't look as explosive in his testing as he did to me on film. Uh, that's not going to scare me too much. It might knock him down a little bit, but not significantly enough that I'm going to panic about him. I feel like he's one of the better route runners at the tight end position in this class. I feel like, you know, a handful of these tight ends, you know, we're talking about Friar Muth. He's got some, you know, technical issues to, you know, iron out in terms of, 
you know, not only blocking, but as a, uh, as a route runner as well. I think Brevin Jordan is a pretty crisp route runner. I think that just the, the footwork that he shows uh, running routes and the crispness coming out of his breaks. I think that I don't want to say it's totally wide receiver esque, but I feel like there are times where he looks better than the average tight end. Uh, I mean, he accelerates well off the snap. I like him a lot better as a U tight end. Cause he's smaller. Yeah. I was um, going to say, what do you think about him? Maybe I kind of use the same version of uh, the, the tight end that came out of Cincinnati last year. Refresh me on his name because it's so hard to keep all these guys. Tight end out of Cincinnati. Green, Green, uh, Green Bay took him. Josiah DeGuara. Josiah DeGuara. There we go. Kind of in the same vein as him last year where I think you can probably use him almost as an H-back because of his height. Like he doesn't offer a ton of mismatch capability at that height and the lack of explosion. He is dynamic in the sense of, you can probably put him in the backfield, in the slot, out wide, and really just make him a matchup nightmare in that regard because he's such a strange – he's almost like – I would qualify him almost as a bad level of tweener. But if you figure out how to get him in space and just let him work, you can probably get the most out of him. So I'm thinking like a flex tight end or an H-back, however you want to phrase it. That's me when I when I watch Brevin Jordan. Yeah, I like that a lot. I think that, you know, you hit on it really well. Yeah, he doesn't have great size for a traditional inline tight end position. Uh, and, you know, with his pro day, there are going to be some concerns about athletic ability. I think it showed up plenty on tape, but I, I don't know. I, I think that you could realistically – target him as you know a traditional U tight end or a slot receiver well not a slot receiver but a guy who can be placed in the slot but I really like him as an H-back for sure uh that Josiah Deguara comp I think there are a lot of similarities there I do I mean think- you can even go back to the most famous H-back that kept getting called a tight end was Chris Cooley the when, when when Chris Cooley was a member of the Washington football team he was used everywhere. They lined him up in line. They lined him up in the slot. They lined him up out wide. They lined him up in the backfield because Chris Cooley was a smaller tight end. He was an H-back. That's the same kind of thing with Josiah DeGuara and how he probably projects to be used going forward in in Green Bay. But that's just what I see. Um, I, I can't really cover much more about than you did in terms of what he is, uh, what his strengths are. And his weaknesses are just kind of, they are what they are. He, he's not big. He's not a good blocker. He's really not. I wouldn't even call him that strong. He's more of just a, he's a smooth athlete more so than he is explosive. And I think he tries when he's blocking a little bit, but he's not like, I don't know. He's just not great at it. He's, I guess the best way to frame him is he's a, He's a help blocker. He's he'll come up, he'll chip, but he's not gonna offer much more than that. He, but he's willing to try it. It's better than better than some. Just not yeah. not great. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and with a guy who's smaller like that, uh, who's not necessarily the biggest or the strongest, you know, you kind of get what you get with him. And like you said, I think the term help blocker is perfect for him. He's not the type of guy you can consistently trust one-on-one to go up against like wide nine edge rushers or stuff like that, or to, you know, consistently 
block, maybe even at the second level against linebackers. Uh, he, he's more of a, a chip blocker at that, you know, someone who can help mm-hmm. out a little bit, uh, maybe accelerate, take on a defensive back or whatever. But yeah, I think that with his size and physical limitations, I feel like there's only so much you're going to get out of him as a blocker. And, and that's fine. I mean, if you know going in what his limitations are and you work around that, I feel like you can, you know, kind of overcome that and kind of mask those deficiencies at the next level. Absolutely. Um, the other thing of the, or the, not the other thing, the next guy, because you know, there's only so much you can talk about with tight ends before they all kind of start to sound the same, much like several other positions. Now here's where it gets kind of interesting because as bears fans, we've heard at length, everything Cole Komet can and can't do. And people seem to either think you hate him or you love him. And he's either out of the league in the next couple of years, or he is, you know, Rob Gronkowski. I don't know why that seems to be it. I see him a lot like his old former Notre Dame compatriot, uh, Kyle Rudolph, if he becomes good, but that remains to be seen, but there's a lot of growing, but that's leading into another Notre Dame tight end similar to in a similar vein to that of Brevin Jordan. And that's Tommy Tremble, who I actually believe to be a better prospect in terms of his versatility as a receiver and how how his fit is in today's NFL in comparison to his Notre Dame teammate that came out last year and ended up in Chicago. So why don't you go ahead and break down Tommy Tremble, who I believe to be a full move tight end. Like, I don't think you want him blocking. He's you can flex him out, use him all over the formation as a pass catcher, but you don't want to have him doing much in the way of blocking. Yeah. So I will disagree with you in saying that I do think Cole Komet was at least a more polished prospect coming out, but I like that's yeah. But I like the value of Tommy tremble in say late round three, early round four, more than I do Cole Komet in round two. And that's simply because of the way that they play. Cole Komet's your, you know, old school, traditional inline wide tight end, uh, but Tommy Tremble, he fits that that archetype of a move tight end. Maybe not the biggest guy out there. He's one of the more athletic tight ends in this class. I really like just the first step quickness that he shows off the line of scrimmage. Uh, stretch the field well vertically. He's got enough deep speed to be able to beat some safeties in that regard. Uh, he's a good route runner too. And he is. He's a very good. He's a better route runner than given credit for. Absolutely. And Notre Dame really didn't use him enough in the past. No, didn't he only catch like 20 balls this year? Something like that. I don't have the exact number, but it's in that time. It's in that frame. And that that's kind of criminal. I figured with a guy who's athletic as he is and has that skill set, man, I mean, you got to use a guy like that. I mean, it, it kind of begs the question of, <laughs> I know last episode we did kind of give credit where credit was due for Ian book becoming not nearly draftable to late round draftable, but he's still not a great quarterback. Like I'm sure you can speak to it when you're evaluating quarterbacks and you're watching those top four or five guys from Lawrence to Jones, there's a severe drop off when you get to someone like Kellen Mond and you're like, what the hell is this level of quarterbacking in a sense? And then imagine not going from the second round prospect like that to Ian book being your guy and he being reliant on him to be the guy to get you the football consistently. 
it's not exactly a fair comparison in terms of what we were expecting from Tremble, mainly because a running the running game at Notre Dame is it's their bread and butter. They run a lot and they run the ball well. Yeah. And couple that with Ian Book really isn't the most consistent passer. So it, it's all multifaceted, but it, it, uh, that's just what I want to make sure when people like box score scout someone like Tommy Trumbull, because it's not really a fair comparison. Yeah. And I mean, I think there's a lot of untapped potential with Tommy Trumbull. They absolutely, they ran the ball so often he has, you know, a decent amount of reps there, but given he's a little bit smaller, not the strongest guy out there. I feel like there's only so high of a ceiling that he can reach as a blocker. He's mm-hmm. willing. He's willing. I'll give him that. And he's had flashes of moments of success. Uh, is it consistent? Not quite. But I feel like there's enough there that if you put him in line in certain situations, you don't freak out. It's not ideal. But he has enough experience there that he, I wouldn't consider him to be a you know complete and total detriment to an offense as a blocker. But receiving, no, and, and actually, when we're talking about this specific class of tight ends, that tends to be the running theme because I I, I want to move on to someone I actually think is being overlooked in a sense. And I was actually DMing one day with EJ Snyder about it. I love Kenny Yaboa, like. And I think you could get him in probably the fifth round, fourth round, somewhere in that realm and get yourself a player, man. He's a little bit like Tremble in that he's a smaller and and going forward, I do want our listeners to know, you're going to hear us refer to a lot of guys as F tight ends, flex tight ends, move tight ends, H backs, because anymore, that's what the tight end position is becoming. Someone that can flex out and, and just be an extra receiver who's a matchup problem for safeties and tight and and, uh, and corners. So Yaboa is is awesome to watch. I have so much fun watching him, specifically when he's his game against Florida. He's got great hands. He he can, he has a really diverse rush uh, route tree, and you can use him all over the field. And he actually has a really good feel. And it's it's weird to see in such a young prospect at tight end that doesn't seem to have much fanfare in that he feels soft spots and zones. It's awesome. <laughs> and that's such a big thing. When you talk about stuff like that, we're talking about being a move tight end. Another, you know, undersized guy though, like I said, he flexed out, whatever, but he does. He's more, I don't want to just say he's willing. Cause he's a feisty blocker. He, he's going to put up a fight with you. He, he, you know, he's not the most well-built guy. He lacks weight in his ass for lack of a better term, but he, he does stick his nose in there and he, he gives you a lot of heart and hustle and, and really just aggression in his blocking for what he lacks. He's great after the, not great, but he's, he's good after the catch, making it hard for him to bring down. He, he, like I said, that, that, that aggression helps him both when he's evading tacklers or trying to get that extra yard by just going through some contact. I, don't, I really like him. And I think he's being overlooked in a sense. And the other thing worth noting, um, he's had 10 red zone touchdowns that he's caught since 2019. So he is a red zone weapon as well, which is something you want from your tight ends. That number the, the 10 tight end number or the 10, uh, the 10 
touchdown number coming by way of Jordan Reed at the draft network. So that just want to share that, that, but that's the guy I kind of think if you get him in fourth or fifth round, you're in business. Yeah. And I'm really happy you mentioned uh, finding the uh, Kenny Abo's ability to find soft spots and zone coverage and kind of exploit those little pockets, so to speak, that the defense leaves for him. Cause that's one of my favorite things about him too. And I'm happy that, you know, I'm not the only one who, I was able to see that. So that makes me feel a little bit better in my evaluation of him. but I, I definitely agree. I think he's long. Yeah. He's a bit skinny and I feel like he can afford to add a little bit of weight, a little bit of muscle in his lower half. Uh, but he's athletic. He's a sound route runner. He's smart in that regard. And I really like his ability in the red zone. I think that, uh, body control comes really into play there and just his ability to contort himself. Like that's something right. that I love. I love watching tight ends be able to square up to the ball and make those tough adjustments in the air to, you know, make a snag and tight coverage. And I feel like Kenny Abo is one of the best in the class at doing that. Uh, is he the most physical guy out there? Maybe not. I feel like, like I said, he can add a, afford to add a little bit more weight can be a little bit more crisp as a route runner. He's not bad in that regard, but I do feel like he can improve a little bit. Right. Regardless, I agree. I think he's a guy that's been overlooked. In this it's, and it feels almost criminal because it's like, I understand Ole Miss isn't the like preeminent blue blood program, as it were, like a team that's consistently knocking, knocking your ass out and, and blowing you away. But I just feel like he's like, he's just not talked about widely, it feels like but maybe I'm just following the wrong people, which is 100% possible. Now to move on, I've seen some on draft Twitter, love him. I admittedly, I've watched maybe a half game of him, so I can't comment on him. Give me, if you, if you have your scouting report on one Hunter long from Boston college, cause I'm looking at his box, not box scores, but his, his stats right now on, on college, uh, on the college websites. And he's been productive. And I just don't have much to say on him because I really can't speak to outside of maybe half a game of watching him. Yeah, so with Hunter Long, it's really weird because it seems like draft Twitter has been kind of up and down with his evaluations. They say, oh, he's a good blocker or no, he's not a great blocker. And I want to say it was Matt Miller who said that Hunter Long wasn't a good blocker. And then a bunch of guys on draft Twitter were jumping on him. It's like, oh, what are you talking about? That's one of the best parts of his game, which I'll admit, I do have Hunter Long as my run, my tight end four right now. And I think that a big part of that is his red zone ability and his uh, physicality at the catch point. I like his frame. I'm not going to lie. He's about six, five in that two fifty range. He's a well-built dude and he's strong and that shows up uh, as a pass catcher. I feel like that size and that physicality and, you know, pretty reliable hands allows him to, you know, box out guys at the catch point to make big catches near the red zone. And is he the greatest athlete? I don't think he is. I feel like he's a bit, a little bit stiff as a route runner and his overall burst off the snap is I don't want to say lacking because it's not bad, but it's not, it's not great. And I feel like there's a limited ceiling with him, but I do think there's a high floor. So I don't necessarily see him as this, you know, elite sort of prospect. I think that 
he's a solid tier down from, you know, a Pat Fryermuth or a Brevin Jordan, but I like what I've seen with him. I feel like he, he tested pretty well at his pro day. I don't necessarily think that uh, the tape is indicate in indicative of that. And it, it's kind of like a Cole Komet last year where I thought he was a good, but not great athlete, but he tested really well. <laughs> so I think it's kind of a sort of similar situation to that. The place play speed doesn't necessarily match that uh, the way that he timed, but he's still a good player. I think if you're looking for more of an, a traditional inline guy, a physical dude who can, you know, block pretty well uh, by, by the standards of today's tight end prospects, which admittedly isn't super high, but he's, he's a solid blocker with a great frame. who has been really productive and has good ball skills. I feel like if you're taking him around like late round three, early round four, I think that's solid investment. Uh, put him in those in like a 12 personnel heavy offense and have him share the load with a the guy there. Uh, I think that'd be a good fit for him and a solid investment for a team for sure. Sure. All right. I think we've kind of covered the, the main guys at this point. Um, why don't we just talk about two more? Give me the names. We'll, we'll go rapid fire. Cause I really don't know who you would want to talk about or who I want to talk about even. So I'll let you kind of take the lead on this. Um, who are some later round tight ends or maybe even a guy undrafted who, you know, the, the in vogue thing has become, especially since, you know, the Antonio Gates story has gone completely bonkers and everyone tries to point to Antonio Gates being, Oh, he was a basketball player who tried out for the chargers on a dare or however the story goes and became a a hall of fame tight end or hall of fame pass catcher, whatever you want to call them. Who are a couple, who are the last two tight ends you want to cover before we wrap this up with the tight ends? Yeah, so if you don't mind, I'm going to cheat and say three, but only because I think that two Fine. of them, but only because two of them are so similar that I don't really feel like I can go in depth with, you know, two of them in a way that, you know, sort of differentiates them. All right, so let's start with the first one who aren't, who's a little bit different, and then we'll finish, save the last two, and we'll go from there. Okay, so the one, the big guy I wanted to talk about, and big, I take, you know, pretty literally, is Zach Davidson out of Central Missouri. Uh, he's, he's a guy who is essentially on no radars for quite some time, but he had a really good pro day when he had the chance to, you know, take part at Mizzou's pro day. And I'm not even going to attempt to comment on this guy. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, What the That's okay. It takes a lot for me to have no idea who a guy is. And I literally have only heard this name, maybe four or five times total. So that's why if you hear my computer clacking, it's cause like, I'm like, uh, who? <laughs> <laughs> and, and I, I do apologize for our listeners. Unfortunately, this isn't my job. I do this as a hobby. I try to give you an idea of what to expect. And then occasionally, and it's going to happen in the actual draft. I'm sure to even Jacob where someone gets taken in like the fourth round shout out new England. And you're just like, <laughs> who? and you it it never ceases to happen and then nfl network and even espn are gonna have struggles with finding you just a clip to show you of him because they don't have it you know they it's everything's a guess i can't and i just don't have time to watch everyone so go ahead break down one zach davidson from central missouri which makes sense mizzou's probably not i would venture a guess of mizzou not being too terribly far from where central missouri is yeah yeah, uh, 
And, and real quick to that point, I mean, it's a little fun exercise I like to do where I look at my board and say, okay, who's the first guy who gets drafted that I didn't watch or I've never heard of? Last year it was uh, it was the Patriots who screwed it's me up. It's always the Patriots. That- <laughs> yeah, it was the kicker out of Marshall. The Justin, like, oh, yeah, the controversial kicker with the three percenter tattoo. Yeah, the guy guy. who ended up being a literal white supremacist. So, yeah, oh, you know, he's fun. Yeah, I I mean, I I feel pretty good about, you know, if I'm not going to watch a guy who gets picked, it's a kicker out of Marshall who has concerns. Also, Uh, while we're on the topic of kickers, real quick, I apologize to those who believe kickers and punters are people too. We will not be doing a breakdown of kickers and punters because, frankly, I wouldn't even know where to start with how to evaluate them. (laughs) Uh, I mean, I got kind of lucky because my senior year of high school, I got to work a little bit with my uh, my team's special teams coach. So I know the very baseline of what to evaluate, but I'm not great at that at all. Like I more often than not, I couldn't tell you the difference between an undrafted kicker and like a fifth round kicker, but regardless, I know we're getting off topic here. I want to uh, quickly get to Zach Davidson here so we can wrap sure. up the tight end. So Zach Davidson, six, seven, two forty five. He's a big dude. And he, when, when you're looking at a small school tight end, you want a guy who dominates the competition. Zach Davidson did exactly that. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, he finished in the top 10 in all of college football and tight and touchdowns in 2019. Uh, he's dominant at the catch point in, you know, in the red zone uses that frame incredibly well to lock guys out of his frame uh, and just bully them at, you know, in those 50, 50 ball situations, he's got strong hands and he's a better athlete than you'd expect. He moved really well at his pro day. He ran a four, six, four, uh, which is in that like 90th percentile or something like that for tight ends historically. Uh, and is he a bit raw as a route runner? Absolutely. It Does he struggle with pad level as a blocker? Absolutely. But if you get a guy who can catch as well as he can, who's as mobile for his size as he is, and, and he's, he is experienced as a punter too. He's not going to play as a punter, but he punted and was a tight end at central Missouri. So he's got that double duty ability, uh, but he, he's strictly a tight end at the next level. In my opinion, I think that he's a draftable guy and I've, I feel like a lot of, uh, let's be honest here. We're talking more general draft, but since this is windy city gridiron, a lot of our fans are going to be bears fans. Mm-hmm. A lot of people are going to be worried about, you know, a repeat of Adam Shaheen, but the expectations with Zach Davidson aren't, as high. And I honestly think Zach Davidson's a better prospect coming out than Adam Shaheen was. I was never too keen on that pick. Uh, So if you can get a guy like Zach Davidson round six, round seven, someone with that high ceiling who, if he doesn't turn into anything, that's fine. But if he does, then you got a potential starter on your hands. That's a guy that I like for sure. Uh, For sure. Yeah. Um, I guess then who would be the two that you kind of think are similar where if you describe one, you're kind of describing the other. So the two guys uh, that are very similar, in my opinion, are Kylan Granson out of SMU and Quentin Morris out of Bowling Green. Quentin Morris is the one that I was kind of thinking of bringing up. So, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll let you 
I'll, I'll let you, if you can go into Quentin Morris and if there's anything else I want to add, because more often than not, if there's something you want to say about Quentin Morris, you're also kind of saying it about Kylan Granson too. So I'll let you take the lead on that one. All right. So Morris, the first thing I noticed when I put his tape on, specifically when I, cause I believe I watched Toledo, Akron and Ohio. Cause those were the, the kind of bigger schools he played in the Mac conference. And, um, the, the he, he was really good against Akron for the record, but I do want to point out one thing. He is a true hands catcher. Like he will go away from his frame to go get the football. And that's really intriguing for a guy that seems to be really raw. Like I, I do like his competitiveness. Like he he's always going to fight for extra yards. He he's never going to shy away from blocking in the screen game, run game or anything from what I can tell. He just, I don't, I'm not sure. I, I don't know much about his personal background. I can just go off of the tape I've watched. He just seems to, I'm not sure if he's newer to the game of football. I, I really don't know, but I, I like him in terms of what he can do. And he's got, so he's not exactly explosive, but he's got the build-up speed, which I like. I don't know. I he, he just is someone I I find interesting as like a late round guy. If you want to take someone that you can develop as your third tight end, if you if you already have like an embarrassment or riches there or something like that. Yeah, and uh, you, you do mention uh, him being kind of newer to the game of football. And what? Oh, I, well, I was questioning it. Is he newer to the game of football? I really don't know. Oh, no. I mean, he's not necessarily newer, but, you know, he played wide receiver. So he's newer to the position. That he's makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Up until I want to say 2019 or something like that. Either that or 2020 was his first year as a tight end. I don't remember which, but he he's newer to that, you know, kind of inline position. Absolutely. Uh and I think that a lot of what you said can be applied to Kylan Granson as well. I mean, neither of them are necessarily the tallest guy out there. Uh, they're athletic. They're, you know, good. They're hand catchers. They're good route runners. Raw as blockers. I think both, that goes for both of them. I think, uh, and I think Quentin Morris is maybe a little bit more well-built while I think Kylan Granson has taken uh, a little bit of a bigger step in terms of uh physicality as a blocker early on in his development. Uh, but yeah, I, I like both of those guys as late round prospects for sure. I think those are two guys where you take them, see if they can continue to develop. And then, you know, maybe you have like a solid tight end two or a really high tight end three on your roster. Absolutely. Well, that we're going to break real quick and then we're going to bring back the safeties. Support for this show comes from Sylvan learning as a parent you want your child to have every opportunity, but giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else. 
and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. And we're back. So we're on safeties now. One of the deeper classes, as I already alluded to earlier in the show. I don't think there's really much debate over who the best safety is. I think that's Trevon Morig and Morig. Sorry, Morig, not Morig, Morig, Trevon Morig. Um, and I wouldn't even classify him as like a true like safety only. I think he can do a lot of things. And I kind of like that about him because he's aggressive. He, he's got great feet. He can play the center field. You can bring him down and he'll hit somebody. He's not like allergic at all to contact. And he, he's really just a, like, I think really just a polished safety prospect. And he's going to probably go middle, late round one, which probably makes sense. I don't think he's like a, one of those transcendent safety talents, but he is an enjoyable watch, especially because he does tend to tend to be very aggressive and, and just not, but doesn't really have the size that a lot of guys have. So just my opinion on him. I do like him a lot. He's, he's got really fun tape, especially because I'm not sure if you noticed the same thing I did. He's a little bit lippy. Like he'll, he'll hit you and he'll get up and he'll tell you he hit you. So it's kind of fun to watch him. Yeah. Sorry about that. I had, no, you're uh, fine. I had my laptop on mute there for a second. Cause I was good. No uh, deal. Good deal. Yeah. No I, uh, I, I have Trayvon Morig as my, uh, safety one as well. I don't necessarily buy the first round hype with him simply because I feel like there are some deficiencies in his game and, I'll just get this out of the way right now. I very much prioritize coverage over tackling ability at the safety position. Fair. Like that's just the way that my, uh, that my grading scale kind of goes out. I put much more stock into, okay, how is this guy's range? Can he play single high? Can he play in two high shells and cover half of the field? Uh, and I feel like Trevon Morig really can do that. I think he's, incredible sideline to sideline speed, super fluid hips, super loose in his movements, which I love. Uh, He's confident. He's got a swagger in his game that, you know, you mentioned him being lippy. I totally agree. And I love that with defensive backs because you, there's so much of that game that, you know, we might not give credit for goes into confidence if you think, okay. Oh, he, Trevon Morig loves him some Trevon Morig. That's, there's yeah. <laughs> nothing to dispute that. He loves himself and that's okay. You can, you, you can carry that swagger with you. Yeah. And that's part of why I love guys like a, like an Antoine Winfield Jr. Last year, because he's confident. He's got that swagger and he's got like that chip on his shoulder kind of. And I feel like Trevon Morig does have that. And is he the most physical guy out there? No, I don't think he's going to offer you much value as a downhill tackler or as a potential blitzer. Uh, I feel like, you know, he's big, but he's not necessarily physical, but the athletic ability wins out for me. He's, you know, definitely. Yeah, he's, my, he's a, one. he's a really fluid athlete. 
Absolutely. And I don't have a first round grade on him, but I really wouldn't blame a team if they took him in round one, uh, like near the back half of it. Uh, so when I, that's kind of what I was getting at when I was saying the safety class is deep. I don't think there's a top end guy. Like you kind of go through the, the history of, of like certain draft classes. And it's like, oh man, there's a top 15 or a top 12. I think this is a class where you start to get to the middle rounds and you got yourself some players to choose from. And that that's kind of what, what I meant. Like this is a deep safety class where it's, there's a lot of guys to like in those two, three and four rounds. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's a really deep class in that regard. Maybe not the best in terms of high-end talent, mm-hmm. but if you're looking for a you know, potential solid starter, there are like double digits in terms of guys I can look at and say, all right, you know, I can see them being starters at the next level. Sure. And, you know, a handful of those guys I can say, all right, they'll be, they could be impact players. They could be pro bowlers. Maybe never that true elite top tier safety, but there's, there's a lot to like in this class for sure. And I'm, I'm glad you feel the same way. Cause yeah. I, I feel like the safety class has gotten a bit too much crap in this whole pre-draft process. Yeah. So I want to bring up a guy I know you've mentioned on our show before, and you have an affinity for Jamar Johnson is someone I know you are kind of in love with <laughs> uh, to say the least. So we'll, we'll let you go ahead and talk and ramble and, Give us your thoughts on one Jamar Johnson from the Hoosier State, and when he hits you, he he says Hoosier Daddy. But oh, I'm sorry, I can't. I I'll stop. Boo. Anyway, boo. <laughs> All right, yeah. go ahead. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so with Jamar Johnson, I mean, he's a guy that you know is really rising in this late draft process, uh, and I actually. I had him a little bit lower, but the more I've watched him, I've moved him up pretty recently. Uh, I have him at safety five right now. I don't know. I've, I feel like some people have him even a little bit higher than me at this point. I, I've seen him a little higher. I think I am at safety six. If I okay. Yeah. And, you know, there are a handful of safeties I also really like, but Jamar Johnson brings that really nice uh, combination of length intelligence and coverage and athletic ability. And did he test very well at his pro day? No, but I'm the type of guy who prioritizes film over that, those pro day numbers, those combine numbers and that data. I mean, and some of it is because I don't have those that access to super advanced analytics, but I also feel like the tape wins out. Uh, And that that's the case with Jamar Johnson and why I have him as high as I do. Uh, Athletic, super fluid, great ball skills, uh, changes direction well. Again, and it's a it's a trend with a lot of these safeties. Is he the best tackler? No, he's not. <laughs> Is he the type of guy who's consistently taking sharp angles in pursuit and the type of guy who can uh, like really break down uh, consistently with form? Not quite. I feel like he hits hard. Uh, and you know, that's, oh, he'll, he'll bring his hammer. He, he, he might over pursue from time to time. I noticed, but he he's going to hit you. Yeah. He plays at a high speed and you know, that showcases well, uh, as a a run defender for better or worse. So with him, I, I feel like there's a potential starter talent there. Uh, I really like what he brings to the table. And I mentioned it when we were talking about the QBs, uh, 
that one play, that one, the, the pick he had against Justin Fields, where he was in uh, single high coverage. Justin Fields was looking right, and then he made a last minute, you know, adjustment to the left side of the field. Jamar Johnson made a break on that route before Justin Fields even wound up. He read his eyes so well and so quickly to that point where he was already at full speed by the time that Justin Fields like was like right as he was releasing the ball. And I feel like that play, I don't, it's, I don't want to be a one play scouting type of guy. Cause I feel like some people can do that. I feel like back in 2014, the Jadevian clowny hit, I feel like some people kind of over-exaggerated that one play, but still one of the best single plays that you can ever watch on film though. That oh, was no. yeah. awesome. That was, was so awesome. So cool. Uh, but yeah, I, I love Jamar Johnson. He's a guy I've been high on for quite some time. And I'm glad that he's, you know, people are finally starting to come around to him uh, even maybe more so than I am because I feel like he's a talented prospect who was, you know, really ridiculously slept on uh, earlier mm-hmm. in the draft process. Yeah, absolutely. So I want to touch on someone that I think probably is, I believe I have him at safety too when it's all said and done, but that's Jevin Holland. And the first thing that not, that that sticks out to me is his intelligence on field. He's a good athlete. Don't get me wrong. He's very, very good athlete. Um, I also like that he uh, he offers some versatility in that he can return punts as well. But I will also say that uh, that translates over to him on the defensive side of the ball in terms of his versatility. He's I think he probably projects his scheme diverse, and I actually think he would fit well with someone like Fangio or – Staley out in LA or here in Chicago, one of the Vic Fangio guys, cause he is so heady and he's so smart and he's, he, he does a good job like getting himself into the right position and also helping get his, getting his teammates at Oregon in the right position. He can also drop down into play the nickel safety area or the dimebacker area, whatever you want to say, but he's just, I just think he's really solid and he has really good, like, competitive juices he he does every he does the small things right as a as a in the nickel or in the safety and he can return the punts he's really just like i said that scheme diverse and anymore when you're saying that in today's nfl it's it's becoming like the new wave where you, your running backs need to catch the ball. Your receivers need to be able to run out of the backfield every now and again. Your safeties need to play nickel. Your nickels need to be able to play outside, and your inside needs to play inside, and your and your linebackers need to play play in coverage. It's amazing how wide open the game is getting, so you need to have these dudes that can do a little bit of everything, and that's what I think Jevin Holland really accelerates at because – or not accelerates at, but excels at – because of his football IQ first and foremost. And that's what I think will probably make him more of a valued commodity than he should be. Yeah. And I feel like he's one of the most, from a pure intelligence perspective, I feel like he's one of the most technically and football IQ sound guys at the safety position in this class. And I love that versatility too. I think he's a good athlete who can change direction. Well, uh, maybe not the best in terms of straight line speed, but I do think he's, you know, he's passable there. I think he's quicker than fast to, uh, you know, borrow from that old cliche, but his playing. Speed, love a good old cliche. 
exactly. I mean, we've gone through so many of those, you know, the gritty, grindy guys. Grindy. Yeah, grindy. Uh, shout out Patty Fisher out of Northwestern, but she's going to be the recur. Can we get Patty Fisher on the show one day? I would love it. I just, would too. Just get Patty Fisher. We'll chop it up. We'll talk shop with him. But you know, yeah. Anyway, part of me is hoping that the Bears take a take him in the late round, or you know, sign him as an undrafted guy, whatever. So we can that can be our rally cry. We can push so hard for us to be the Patty Fisher fan club podcast. Perfect. Uh, Let's do it. Yeah. Absolutely, but yeah. <laughs> uh, shoot, as to Javon Holland, dumbest show ever. <laughs> <laughs> but <laughs> hey, I mean, thank you for listening to us, everyone. Uh, <laughs> we appreciate you. Yeah, we appreciate you, but we're also dumb as hell. So, <laughs> oh god, but yeah, I feel like with Javon Holland, a lot of these safeties are kind of allergic to tackling. I, Javon Holland, maybe not the best tackler in this class, but he's willing. And I feel like he's sound in his, the movements and the angles that he takes. Yeah, it, good, not great athlete. Yeah, exactly. And is that going to limit his ceiling at the next level? Potentially. But I think that he's fluid enough laterally. He's, you know, he can play man coverage out of the slot. He's physical enough in man in press man. Uh and he has that special teams experience. I think that there's a lot to like with him. Strong ball skills. He's a guy you can take, you know, maybe mid late day two and be a solid starter at the next level, I think. Absolutely. So before I get into my couple mid round crushes that I have, I want you to kind of break down some Richie Grant because I I see some of what people see and then I don't see some of what people see. You know, and and I am ageist. He is born in November of 97. So he's an older safety prospect already, but some people really seem to love Richie Grant. And I want to know what you see when you watch him. Yeah. So going down to mobile this year, Richie Grant was the most impressive safety to me. And uh, I do have him as the highest rated safety. I, I believe was down there this year, uh, but I like what he brings to the table. I think that he's uh, fluid laterally. Uh, he changes direction really well in coverage. Uh, I like the athletic ability with which he plays, the straight line speed, the ability to burst upfield coming out of his breaks. I feel like he's he's capable in man coverage. I mean, obviously with the safety, you prefer to have him up there in you know, kind of that too high role or a center fielder role, which I think Richie Grant can do. Uh, but also his ball skills, he he's had really good production at the collegiate level in terms of his interceptions and pass deflections. I want to say he had like six interceptions back in 2018. Uh, and he's a longer guy too, and he's got good route running, route recognition ability. Uh, he can read concepts well, and that's you know very valuable as a safety. Now, you mentioned, Danny, that he's older, absolutely, and I feel like he's he's a – decent but not great tackler okay now then that all being said where do you think would be a good nfl fit for him like it just knowing what he does and i know you mentioned he's you know been kind of used versatilely in terms of they bring him into the box sometimes they kind of let him stay deep they kind of put him in the nickel stuff like that but where do you think he would really thrive like because i just don't know I don't know necessarily what is the thing he's 
best at. Yeah. And that's where I'm struggling to find a, a fit. And it's not that I don't like him. I actually really like the tape he put out. I just, I struggle with what kind of defensive system I really want him in. Yeah. And I feel like one team that could move him around a little bit that needs a safety could be the Atlanta Falcons. Uh, okay. I, I, I guess I can see that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and they've shown they've moved a lot of their safeties around. Uh, they don't have either of them on the roster anymore, but you know, guys like Keanu Neal and, uh, DeMonte Kazee that they had earlier, they moved those guys around, whether it was, you know, moving Keanu Neal and like a hybrid linebacker role or moving Kazee into the nickel. Uh, they move their safeties around a lot. I feel like you could take advantage of Richie Grant's skill set uh, more so in like a Kazee type of role. Uh, and, and like you said, I don't think he's necessarily elite in an area, but I do feel like he is, you know, a good coverage safety. And he's the type of guy that I feel like I'd be comfortable taking and targeting around like that round three range. Would you agree? He's probably better on the back end by himself versus splitting the field. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Okay. Uh, I do feel like he's, you know, consistent enough. So I guess I'm varying the lead a little bit because my first draft crush I'm going to bring up is 100% this guy. I'll always have a soft spot. Like I'm the anti Brandon Robinson from our other podcast. He doesn't care if defensive backs tackle. I want my defensive backs attack. I have a type. I like hitting safeties. I like hitting corners. I like feisty sawed off nickelbacks that are going to put their face mask into your chest and bury you into the ground. I like that. That's something that appeals to me. I'm not saying that every guy that's like that is a good football player because Dion Bush is one of those guys in Chicago and he's, you know, a good special teamer. He's going to, he's played in the league now four going on five years. He's lasted, but he's not by any means a great safety. Yeah. You know, but I, I see what you're saying. Uh, but that's to, but to point with that, Richie is very willing, if not excited, to go put his hat on somebody, and that's something I really enjoyed. It as I'm part of his tape. I just I struggled with. I really didn't know what he did terrifically outside of that because if your best if your best trait is is sticking your nose into someone or finishing a hit like that, which is what I kind of noticed on tape. Like I really just liked his tackling ability and his want to, and his, his moxie in that regard. Yeah. But I just kind of was like, he's a good coverage guy, not a great coverage guy. I just wanted to know what you were saying. Now we come to, and I'm kind of mad that we didn't record this episode earlier. Cause now I'm just going to sound like I'm repeating other, other guys. But I've, from the second I turned on Divine Diablo, ooh, the set I was just like, "Well, you have my heart, sir." <laughs> <laughs> I don't know that he's anything more than a box safety and dime linebacker, and that's okay. That dude, <laughs> <laughs> it, Divine Diablo, is just—he's a missile, and he's going to lay you out oh god yeah he and it's awesome because it makes you wonder people i'm not sure how many people know but he was recruited out of high school to play wide receiver and i believe he actually was was a wide receiver at virginia tech to initially start his career there now they used him all over the place because 
because I think the transition to playing a new position, like, was something to that was new to him, and they just kind of wanted to use him all over the place. But you almost want him to use like a, a a defensive line term or an offensive line term. You almost want him in a phone booth. You don't want to give him too much responsibility at this point in his career because he's still learning on the job. But he's a he's laser focused on the football. And he's laser focused on what? Okay, so when you play as a and when you coach, you are taught to separate man from football. Divine Diablo's pure intent when he's playing this game is to separate you from the football, and he plays with bad intentions. And it's such a joy to watch. And I love Divine Diablo. I truly hope, as a Bears fan, he ends up in Chicago because his film is just it warms the cockles of my heart for lack of a better term, because he's just so much fun and he's so big. And I know everyone and their mother's going to compare him to Cam Chancellor. And I don't want to do that to him because he wears a Virginia Tech helmet and because he is this bigger borderline too big to be a safety because he's 6'3", 230. He's, I mean, he's a big man. Yeah. I just, I loved the film. And you, you can't help but just love the toughness and the the tenacity that he plays with and also for for what it's worth he's a he's a demon on special teams too yeah he does a lot for all for for two phases of the football team so there's my crush i gushed i'm happy he mm-hmm. warms the cockles of my heart all the fun stuff you know D- divine diablo number one overall let's go <laughs> <laughs> And when you called him a demon on special teams, I'm really hoping that pun was intentional. Nope. No pun intended. Uh, I, I, I really am upset with myself that I didn't plan that myself. Okay. (laughs) Well, any thoughts on divine Diablo, senior Infante? Yeah. uh, I think you summed him up perfectly. He's a big dude, a heat seeking missile. Who's, huge who's lengthy he's well built and he's the type of guy who's just willing to charge downhill and lower the boom on a guy uh he's just out to kill you exactly job and exactly. it's so fitting that his last name is diablo yeah it's just like <laughs> like that's great it's tremendous i don't know <laughs> it's a perfect football name literally yeah it is he's got a perfect football name yeah uh and also for the ability that he brings as a tackler and how hard he hits. Uh, I also like his ball skills and he has that experience as a wide receiver. And I think that's pretty apparent. He's got solid hands and, you know, squares up to the ball. Well, is he an elite athlete? Not quite. And like you said, I'd prefer him in a phone booth. I prefer him in like that dime linebacker type of role, box safety, what have you, but he's a lot of fun. And at the very least, he's going to be a, a stud on special teams. Yeah, I mean, I don't think I would take him higher than like, and this is me saying I would, pro- I, I admittedly would reach and take him in the third round and be like, hey, here's Divine, have fun. <laughs> More realistically, he's probably middle four, top five, at the at the lowest. Like I, I just I see the limitations, and I know he's got got limitations, but I just love that style of football player. 
yeah, he's so much fun to watch. And especially for like uh, an old school type of guy, uh, he's so much fun to watch. But also, I do feel like he has value enough in coverage that he's not strictly, oh, he's a thumper and as a safety and can't do anything else. Uh, yeah. And real quick, I do want to segue into a guy that I like Go at ahead. the safety position uh, who kind of brings some of those similar skill sets. Uh, and that's Tyree Gillespie, safety out of Missouri. I had a feeling. Yeah, and – this I is promise. this is Jacob's brand. If you're a Mizzou Tiger, he's drafting all of you in the first round. So thank you. I'm wearing I'm I'm wearing a Mizzou shirt right now. So I promise this isn't me being biased uh too much. Maybe a little bit, but I I, I went back and I got to watch the game live of Mizzou versus Alabama, but I was able to rewatch that game in particular and see uh, Gillespie going up against some of the top receivers in this class. And he more than held his own. Now he's not going to be the type of guy to put up elite numbers in like a pro day setting. Uh, And he's, he's a fairly average athlete, but he's so smart and he plays so hard and he's one of the best tackling safeties in this class, in my opinion, from, I can see that from a form perspective, from an ability to charge downhill, wrap up, and, you know, even lower the shoulder in certain cases, I feel like uh, Gillespie does a really good job of that. And he takes precise angles and run support. Now, is he the most fluid? Maybe not. I do feel like that he's got some, uh, some athletic limitations. So I wouldn't take him much higher than, you know, again, like you said, with divine Diablo, I'd consider him in like round three, but I think he'll go like round four ish. But there's a lot to like with him. I feel like for what he lacks in elite athletic ability, he makes up for with his instincts and his quick diagnosing abilities. And I feel like he's more than capable in coverage. He's not going to be your ball hawker any, by any means. I feel like his ball skills are maybe a little bit lacking sometimes. But he's dang good. And he's the type of guy I have him in my top 10 right now. I think he's my safety nine right now. Uh, but okay. I, I'm a fan of his. I feel like he, you know, brings a lot of intriguing tools to the table, and I think he can start at the so, next level. Uh, so, to my, uh, so before we get to my other draft crush, we're going to pause real quick for our secondary break, and we'll be back to uh, finish up our last two or three, maybe four safeties if we got the time. But let's break real quick, and we'll be right back. We're back. And, Jacob, I know I said I kind of led into this saying I was going to bring up my other – safety crush and I'm pretty sure by how I described what I like my defensive backs to be able to do and what my ideal defenders to do you know put a hat on someone let them know you're playing football and I want to see what you think about this how about Talanoa Hufanga Woo, yeah how about that guy (laughs) (laughs) gee I'm sure it shocks people that have watched him that know that hey the guy that likes someone's gonna put a hat on somebody likes Talanoa from USC, the Trojan defense. Um, Talanoa is not going to come in and start right away. He's just not. He's probably a rotational guy. He can be almost a Swiss Army knife. I know they used him at linebacker from time to time. They used him at in the nickel from time to time. They used him at strong safety from time to time. But no matter where you put him, he is a wrecking ball. 
and he's going to come up and he's going to put his face into you and he's going to plant you. Not necessarily the biggest guy in the world, not necessarily the most uh, physically gifted in terms of his traits, but yeah, he uh, he's really fun. And I, I would say he's a, to use another cliche, good, not great athlete, but what makes him stand out is his competitive edge. He, he plays with a ton of fire and passion and he's gonna give it everything he has every single snap of every single play. Now I, I did allude to on the show when you play that way in the NFL, like it makes for good, makes for good TV and good watching, but it doesn't necessarily make for the longest career. So I hope he's able to take care of himself and he's able to do all that stuff because the competitive tough, toughness, the flexibility, a guy I'm sure because of his, his ability to, to do what he does will be a really good special teamer, though I don't think he played much of it at, for, at USC for the Trojans. But I really like everything I saw because the ball skills and stuff aren't great, but they're developing. I just I love his fits against the run and his ability to tackle and he's just he just hurts people when he hits you. So I thoroughly enjoy enjoyed watching him. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. And thinking about it, I really don't think USC gets enough credit for the defensive backs they produce. They don't. They don't. And a lot of them really have I, I don't want to say a lot of them because obviously that's including cornerbacks and other uh like true I guess center fielder type safeties, but they've had guys who kind of fit in that, you know, hard hitting safety kind of prototype. Like they had Taylor Mays, uh, Suwa Cravens, even going back to like a. Man, God, I thought Suwa Cravens was going to be so good. Yeah, I, I loved him coming out. I thought he was going to be a stud for sure. I. Yep. Ed, yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately, but. I think that's enough on Talanoa. I think we got time for maybe one more before we got to wrap this up. And I think we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about the big kid from uh, Florida State, and that's Hamza Nazarleding. Um, why don't you give me a quick breakdown on Hamza, Jacob? Yeah, so he's huge. He's huge. He's massive. He's so big. And <laughs> – you know what? Before you get into it, I think he could be one of those tight end guys where you just have him follow a Travis Kelsey around, or oh, a, because of the he's a great athlete. But I'll let you get into. It. I just really like what he what he can potentially bring down the line. Absolutely. I mean, he's what he's like six three, six four in that like two fifteen range. He's just so well built. And he's got insanely long arms. I definitely agree. He's the type of guy you draft, you attach him to those tight end prospects and say, okay, uh, here's a big athletic safety. Oh, we've got Hamza on the roster. We're fine. And is he still raw? Yes. I feel like his uh, processing ability can speed up a little bit, but he's a hard hitter and he's quick in a straight line, which I love. And whether he's, you know, charging downhill to jump on a in, in or outbreaking route, whatever, uh, or he's charging downhill to make a play as a run defender. I feel like Hamza brings a lot of potential there. There's upside as a special teamer, uh, upside as a blitzer. You can move him around. I, I don't think he's the most 
fluid safety. Like, he's a good, he's fluid, but he's not the most athletic guy to the point I can say, all right, I'll put him as a center fielder. I like him in two high shells or I like him underneath. Now, see, I thought when I watched him that he's a, you know, to use a scouting term, I think he has good click and close. Like he's, he's a big physical man and he runs really well on a straight line. Is it possible? I don't think he's got stiff hips or he's high, high cut as a nice way of saying that, whatever. But is it almost like he's teetering on too big to have like those really quick flip triggered hips? You know, I wonder if that's what it is. Cause I think he's a good, I think he's a good athlete. Yeah. In a straight line. I just wonder if he lacks a little bit in the hip mobility because he is so big and physically rocked out. Yeah. I feel like it is tougher for some of those like taller safeties to, you know, get low and sink their hips. And there's something that, you know, they can only control so much of, I mean, being as tall as they are, like you can't fault them for that. But I, I wonder thinking on him and how you described him, if he'd be good used uh, in a role similar to like what the, the Rams did with Mark Barron when he was there or like Dayon Buchanan in Arizona yeah. or something like that, where you almost line him up as an inside linebacker, kind of what you, you brought up Taylor Mays a couple minutes ago, kind of like what teams were trying to do with Taylor Mays near the end of his career, where he's a safety, but you line him up at linebacker. Hell, the Cowboys are going to be doing that with Keanu Neal this year where they put him at the will. Yeah. I feel like that's a really good fit for him and he's big enough to the point where I feel like he can fit in there. He can play well in the box. Uh, If you want to convert him to linebacker, I think you very well can. I'm not saying make him full time there. I'm just not wondering if you could use him in that same regard because sub packages in a dimebacker sort of role. Yeah. Like, cause it was the same thing. Like I it's no secret, you know, this and everything. I was a huge Jeremy chin fan last year. So maybe some shades of that with how, how, Carolina and Matt rule deployed him to start his career, but maybe yeah. I'm, maybe I'm out on an Island on that thought. No, I agree with that for sure. I think that there are similar skill sets there. I did have Jeremy chin a bit higher uh, than well, Jeremy I chin. I think is a, a freak. Yeah. He's, he's a freak athlete. Like Hams is a very good athlete. Uh, Jeremy chin is a freak. Yeah. Uh, but but yeah, I definitely you know think- what, Jacob, I appreciate your time, but I think we're about out of time for this episode. Um, why don't you go ahead and plug your stuff and uh, we'll go on and get out of here. All righty. So y'all can follow me on Twitter at Jacob Infante 24. Uh, check me out here on Windy City Gridiron. Uh, Lunch Pail Draftcast, as well as a lot of written pieces, especially, you know, the draft coming up. We're going to have a lot of, you know, good stuff coming out on the site. Uh, for sure check me out at draft wire uh and i have my draft guide not too late to buy it not too late to check it out Uh, he's a poor college kid damn it give him some money i am broke i need this money i need this uh but (laughs) for real though that's not at all the reason behind it i just wanted to have that platform to be able to you know put together like this big project sort of thing because i haven't really had a ton of experience with that before uh, so it was cool. It was definitely a really cool project. I'm hopeful that, you know, if you haven't gotten it already or at least considered it, I definitely recommend you check it out. Uh, just my humble opinion, but yeah, that's where y'all can check me out for sure. And Jacob, as always, thank you for joining me on the lunch pail draft cast. You know, we're co-hosts. This is our show. We, we actually may have some big news coming out within the next couple of weeks regarding our show and our uh, partnership with Windy city gridiron. So obviously be on the lookout for that. Um, 
or not our partnership, but under the flagship that is Windy City Gridiron. <laughs> but my, my name is uh, Dan Meehan. You can find me on Twitter at DanMeehan90. Um, be on the lookout. I will be releasing this afternoon my uh, draft rankings for all positions except for kickers and punters because, again, I have no idea what I'm looking at when I'm evaluating them. They're all just swinging their leg in some capacity in my eyes. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, happy draft week. You'll be hearing this the morning of the draft. We hope you give us a listen, get some tight end intake in. But, Jacob, I'm not sure about you, but my eyes are ready to rest from all this film I've watched. <laughs> Yeah, I am <laughs> from a pure tape perspective, I am burnt out and I'm I'm just excited to be able to sit back and relax and just watch the draft. I'm so excited. Oh, it's gonna be great. Um, but like I said, take every every mock draft with a grain of salt. Enjoy your draft, enjoy your week coming up, enjoy the weekend, stay safe, everybody. See you later. <laughs>